a big country town, and I was called a hick. Uh, anyone that came from Columbus was considered a hick, I guess, or a buckeye. Welcome to another edition of Lady Wrestler, the story behind the story. This podcast gives you an exclusive behind the scenes look at the documentary Lady Wrestler, the amazing untold story of African-American women in the ring. I'm Chris Bournet and I directed the documentary, which chronicles the accomplishments of black women who broke racial and gender boundaries in the male dominated wrestling business in the 1950s, 60s and 70s. Women like 2021 Hall of Fame inductee Ethel Johnson, Babs Wingo, Marva Scott, Ramona Isbell, and Kathleen Wembley. The lady wrestlers trained like gladiators and became world champions. And when you picture the city that produced these world-class women, you might think of a big metropolis like New York or LA, or maybe a Southern citadel of black culture like Atlanta. In actuality, the city where the wrestlers trained and grew up was none other than the place that is known as the biggest small town in America, Columbus, Ohio's capital city. And that lady you heard at the beginning was another wrestling legend, Ethel Brown, that was a clip from the Lady Wrestler documentary in which Ms. Brown relates how people from her hometown of Columbus are often described. I can relate since I'm also a lifelong Buckeye. Columbus may not have the name recognition of sister Ohio cities like Cleveland or Cincinnati or industrial hubs like Toledo, Akron, Youngstown, and Dayton, but Columbus in fact is larger than all of those cities. And there is one major amenity that sets Columbus apart, the Ohio State Buckeyes. On any given Saturday during football season in Columbus, you'll find stores and shopping malls deserted, the normally bustling highways nearly empty. And that's because everyone's either at home in front of their TV sets, watching the Buckeyes football team square off against their latest opponents, or they're crowded into Ohio Stadium, also known as the Shoe, the celebrated venue where the Buckeyes play their home games. Ohio State is one of only six universities to not only have been recognized as a national champion in football, but also to have won an NCAA national championship in baseball and men's basketball. Ohio State has also won national championships in men's swimming and diving, men's outdoor track and field, men's volleyball, men's golf, men's gymnastics, men's fencing, and women's rowing, co-ed fencing, co-ed and women's pistol shooting, synchronized swimming, and wrestling. Since the inception of the Athletic Directors' Cup, Ohio State has finished in the top 25 every year, including top six finishes in three of the last five years. During the 2005-2006 school year, 
Ohio State became the first Big Ten team to win conference championships in football, men's basketball, and women's basketball in the same season. This feat repeated in the 2006-2007 season, which also included a February 25, 2007 men's basketball game, which saw the Buckeyes defeat the Wisconsin Badgers in the Big Ten's first basketball game between the number one and number two ranked squads in the nation. Oh, and did you know that the title of the famous Philip Roth novel and movie, Goodbye Columbus, starring Richard Benjamin, Allie McGraw, and Jack Klugman is a reference to Ohio State? I can brag about Ohio State's accomplishments because I'm one of its many proud alumni who continue to call Columbus home. So I haven't said goodbye Columbus. <clears throat> anyway, in addition to having graduated from Ohio State, I'm also a proud alumnus of Eastmore High School, something I have in common with a renowned athlete from my hometown. Find out who after a short break. As I mentioned before the break, I'm a proud graduate of Eastmore High School and a lifelong booster of the Eastmore Warriors. I still remember the Warriors cheer that I heard at football and basketball games in high school. Go Warriors, do it, do it. As a teenager in the 80s, when I'd walk the halls of Eastmore High, I'd look up and gaze at oversized framed photos of Archie Griffin, one of the school's most famous alumni. After graduating from Eastmore, Griffin matriculated to Ohio State. He played as a running back for the Buckeyes from 1972 to 1975. a starting position his freshman year, many sophomores were disappointed because Griffin took their spot. Famed Ohio State head coach Woody Hayes said of Griffin, he's a better young man than he is a football player, and he's the best football player I've ever seen. At the time of the recording of this podcast, Griffin holds the distinction of being the only two-time Heisman Trophy winner. A short list of the many other stellar student athletes who graced the halls and fields of Ohio State include three-time All-American football running back Chick Harley, basketball players John Havlicek, Jerry Lucas, and Katie Smith, baseball's Frank Howard, and world-famous golfer and entrepreneur Jack Nicholas. Hall of Fame coaches at Ohio State have included Woody Hayes and Paul Brown in football and Fred Taylor in men's basketball. After a quick break, we'll hear about another legendary Ohio State athlete who was nicknamed the Buckeye Bullet. Can you guess who it is? James Cleveland Jesse Owens, originally known as JC, 
was the youngest of 10 children, three girls and seven boys, born to Henry Cleveland Owens, a sharecropper, and Mary Emma Fitzgerald in Oakville, Alabama on September 12, 1913. He was the grandson of a slave. At the age of nine, Owens and his family moved to Cleveland, Ohio for better opportunities as part of the Great Migration when 1.5 million African-Americans left the segregated rural South for the urban and industrial North. After Owens' family relocated to Cleveland, Owens' new teacher asked him his name to enter in her role book. He said, JC, but because of his thick Southern accent, she thought he said, Jesse. The nickname stuck, and he was known as Jesse Owens for the rest of his life. Owens' achievement on the track at Cleveland's East Technical High School were so phenomenal that he caught the attention of several Big Ten universities, including Ohio State and the Buckeyes' biggest rival, the University of Michigan. OSU's proposal that Owens could work part-time as a freight elevator operator at the Ohio State House while training and going to classes won over the budding track star. After passing a series of exams that summer to qualify him to enter college, he was a few credits shy of graduating from high school, Owens began classes at Ohio State in the fall of 1933. When Owens entered Ohio State, the university had only one men's dorm and Owens was barred from it because he was black. He instead shared a boarding house with several other African-American students on East 11th Avenue near campus, where they cooked their own meals and sometimes ate in the student union. No restaurant along High Street, the main campus thoroughfare would serve them nor were they allowed to go to most movie theaters. Owens, though, made the most of the situation, focusing on his studies and training with the Ohio State track team under coach Larry Snyder. Snyder, who thought Owens' race starts were too slow, made the athlete repeatedly practice starts that had Owens crouching tightly at the starting line. He also altered Owens' long jump style, teaching him to move his legs in midair. By May 1935, Owens was showing the nation a glimmer of what was to come at the 1936 Olympic Summer Games. That month, at the Big Ten Finals in Ann Arbor, Michigan, of all places, he set world records in the 220-yard dash, the 220-yard low hurdles, and the long jump. Owens continued logging victories on the track. He was even chosen team captain, the first African-American elected to that position on a Big Ten team. He had few such highlights, however, in the classroom. His grades were so poor his junior year that the university made him academically ineligible to compete in any winter indoor meets in 1936. Owens had brought his grades up sufficiently by spring quarter to compete in the regular outdoor season, but that was the last full academic year Owens spent at Ohio State. 
While Owens made his mark at Ohio State, he made the history books for his breathtaking feats at the 1936 Summer Olympics in Berlin, Germany. Owens qualified for the Olympics in 1935 when he broke world records and equaled a sixth in the space of 45 minutes. One of these world records, 8.13 meters in the long jump, would last for 25 years. the 1936 Berlin Games, Owens won four gold medals. But of course, his Olympic accomplishments transcended athletics. The young African-American athlete vanquished Adolf Hitler's plans to prove his theory of Aryan racial superiority at the 1936 Berlin Games. Instead, Owens' achievements led the people of Germany and the people of the world to celebrate him, a black man, as a hero. After doing so well in the 1936 Olympic Games, Owens decided to capitalize on the opportunities that his newfound fame afforded. He did go back to school at Ohio State in the fall of 1940, but he once again was placed on academic probation. Finally, in December 1941, Owens withdrew from Ohio State without completing his degree. 32 years later, however, the university awarded him an honorary doctorate of athletic arts for his unparalleled skill and ability as an athlete and for his personification of sportsmanship ideals. Ohio State also honored Owens' legacy by naming an athletic facility after him. The Jesse Owens Memorial Stadium is a 10,000-seat stadium located on Ohio State's main campus in Columbus. The stadium is home to the Ohio State Buckeyes men and women's lacrosse teams, as well as the soccer and track and field teams. The stadium opened in the fall of 2001. It also hosts the Ohio High School Athletic Association Boys and Girls Track and Field State Tournament. Owens died of lung cancer in 1980. Since then, a street and a school have been named after him in Berlin, Germany. Two U.S. postage stamps have been issued in his honor, and a memorial park has been opened in Alabama, among many other tributes. His life has been chronicled in countless biographies and documentaries, as well as the 2016 feature film Race, which starred Stephen James in the title role and debuted at Ohio State's Mershon Auditorium. I covered that movie premiere as a journalist for the Call and Post, Ohio's oldest and largest African-American newspaper. Here's a clip from my red carpet interview with Stephen James about the young actor's enormous responsibility 
to portray the legendary Owens on film. Well, um, do you think that young people will be able to relate to Jesse Owens' story, even though it took place 80 years ago? Of course. You know, uh, you know, I can relate to him. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there was so much I learned and so much I was inspired by in this story. And, you know, I sort of felt uh, obligated to do the same for, you know, for the youth of today. And, and really, you know, I, I want this story to reach more than just young people. I want it to reach, you know, older folks who have no clue about the story, who may have heard his name and mm -hmm. just don't know who he is. Athletes, non-athletes alike. Mm -hmm. What do you make of the fact that many of the racial issues that Jesse faced are still, you know, going on today with discrimination? And yeah, yeah, I mean, you know, discrimination and, and issues, you know, race relations, uh, those are things that happen the world over, mm -hmm. you know. Uh, we'd be amiss to say that we're in the same position that we were 80 years later. Right. Uh, but that's why we make films like this, to right. show people uh, not only how far we've come, but why we can't afford to take any steps backwards. After interviewing Stephen James, I had the privilege of sitting in Mershon Auditorium and watching that epic film. I, along with the Capacity crowd, gained a new respect for all that Jesse Owens did for humanity. After another quick break, we'll learn about another international superstar who helped to put Columbus on the map. Here's a hint, after the break, I'll be back. There's a statue of Arnold Schwarzenegger in front of the Greater Columbus Convention Center in downtown Columbus. The statue honors the international fitness icon and movie superstar for hosting his annual fitness festival in Columbus. The event began in Columbus as the Arnold Classic in 1989 and is now known as the International Federation of Bodybuilding and Fitness Arnold Sports Festival, also known as the Arnold Schwarzenegger Sports Festival. The annual multi-sport event consists of professional bodybuilding under the Arnold Classic, strongman under the Arnold Strongman Classic, fitness, figure, and bikini competitions. Each year, an estimated 20,000 people, including bodybuilders, martial artists, and fitness enthusiasts from all around the world, flock to Columbus for the Arnold Sports Festival, which is considered the second most prestigious event in professional men's bodybuilding, physique, figure, and bikini modeling after Joe Wielder's Olympia. The Arnold Sports Festival was also once the second most prestigious event in professional female bodybuilding. Before he blazed across the big screen in roles like The Terminator and True Lies, Schwarzenegger was one of the most famous bodybuilders in the world during the 1970s and 80s. According to local lore here in Columbus, the reason why Schwarzenegger continues to hold his fitness festival in Ohio is because he won one of his first major bodybuilding titles at the Veterans Memorial Auditorium in downtown Columbus when he was first starting out. In fact, Veterans Memorial hosted the Arnold Classic for the first couple decades 
of the event's existence until the venue was torn down a few years ago to make way for a new military museum. The Greater Columbus Convention Center is now home to the Arnold Sports Festival. In 2020, the festival was one of the first international events to be affected by the COVID-19 coronavirus pandemic. Schwarzenegger and Ohio Governor Mike DeWine agreed to not allow spectators at any of the festival's competitions that year. And it was announced that the 2021 Arnold Sports Festival was postponed from its usual date in early March to September of this year, with the hope that the COVID-19 vaccine rollout will enable spectators to once again attend the event. Officials organizing the festival suggested that by the time September rolls around, enough people will have been vaccinated, that it will be safe to hold the event in its traditional, non-socially distanced format. Robert Larimer, president of the Arnold Sports Festival, told the local ABC affiliate, WSYX Channel 6, we've been for 32 years, the first weekend in March in Columbus, Ohio. Due to the fact that we need full assembly in the convention center, we just didn't believe that the first or second quarter of this year, we were going to have that. So fitness fans, Arnold hasn't said, Hasta la vista, baby. To Columbus, he'll be back. And in addition to bringing millions of tourism dollars and global attention to Columbus, Schwarzenegger played a key role in the genesis of the Lady Wrestler documentary. Now, I've told this story before, and I'll share it here again. Back in March of 2006, when I wrote an article for the local paper, the Columbus Dispatch, interviewing wrestling legend Ethel Johnson, Arnold Schwarzenegger's people saw the article and called me at the newspaper and offered to give Ms. Johnson a Lifetime Achievement Award. By that time, Ms. Johnson was in her 70s. She was a retired grandmother and never really did like the limelight. So she declined the award. However, it occurred to me that if an international movie star and fitness icon like Arnold Schwarzenegger saw the value in Ms. Johnson's story, there had to be more to it than one single newspaper article. I asked Ms. Johnson if she would be willing to be interviewed on camera for a documentary, and to my delight and surprise, she said yes. I went on to discover that there were dozens of women like Ms. Johnson, including Ramona Isbell, whom I had the honor and privilege of also interviewing for Lady Wrestler. Chronicling the story of these courageous African-American women has been one of the biggest honors of my life.
Next time on Lady Wrestler, the story behind the story. How did the Lady Wrestlers train for their matches? How did the women get into such peak physical condition that they could hold their own with any man? Find out more next time on Lady Wrestler, the story behind the story. Please rate and review us on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. And be sure to catch the Lady Wrestler documentary on Amazon Prime Video. In this episode, I used information from and or quoted directly from articles posted online by The Ohio State University, Ohio History Central, Olympics.org, GenerationIron.com, and Wikipedia. Thank you for listening. Catch you next time.